Good evening and welcome to another episode of Nigeria Politics Weekly. As usual, my name is Michael and co-hosting with me is Phoenix. Today our guest is Samuel Atiku. Samuel Atiku is a public policy analyst. And we have three topics to discuss this week. First of all, we'll discuss the central bank governor. He's called Yemi Cardoso. The young people on Twitter call him Cardi B. I'm still not sure why. But he's alleged, allegedly blamed the Forex crisis on the growing number of Nigerian students studying abroad. Then the second topic is the reports that the IMF has said Bolatinubu is doing well with Nigeria's economy and implementing policies that Buhari, Jonathan and Jonathan Obasanjo avoided. And thirdly, reports that the Naira has been devalued again in a bid to attract foreign investors. So we're going to discuss these issues with Phoenix and Samuel. But before we start, I must also apologize. We've been off air for a few weeks. Work, study, and all kinds of commitments have come in the way. But I can assure you that our calendars are back in alignment, and hopefully we'll be able to give you a fun, packed year for 2024. So first topic to Phoenix. Phoenix, your governor, Yemi Cardoso, central bank governor, blames Nigerians who are studying abroad for the forex crisis. Is this correct, Phoenix? Is it people studying abroad going to Harvard, Yale, Bristol, and other universities? Is that, is that what is causing this FX crisis? Hi, Michael. And uh, hi, Atiku. Thanks for joining us. Hello, listeners. As Michael said, uh, we apologize for the break in transmission, but yes, we hope to to make this as regular as it used to be in the past going forward. So thank you for hanging in with us and uh, we see all your messages and prompts. <laughs> we appreciate them. Um, Michael, I mean, Mr. Cardozo is, uh, is he's playing the politician's game <clears throat> and, and playing to the gallery. I mean, he, he knows quite well which I which I find quite disappointing because I had expected that he would he would tow he will continue to tow the cerebral route and not get involved in all this nonsense talk that uh, Nigerian uh, leaders try to engage in when they are trying to be populist, always looking for somebody to to blame, you know, throw some meat to the masses so that they have people to to attack for for work that they should be doing and not doing well. He knows very well that, you know, the, the it cannot be the people who are going abroad for school that should be creating an FX crisis in Nigeria. The quantum is insignificant. The What is creating the, the FX crisis is a, is, is, is a lack of confidence in, in the government and the central bank um, to manage the economy effectively, which means that um, supply ha so uh, FX supply has dried up significantly. We we saw that in all of 
2023, FDI, if I remember correctly, was under $4 billion. So when you have that, you're only um, leaning on what you get largely from oil. And we do know that we're not producing as much oil as we should. And we also know that a lot of it is being swapped for petroleum products. So you are, it's a double whammy. You're not able to generate enough FX and you're not getting um, people who have FX to want to come to your country and invest. So your issue is a supply problem. It's not a demand issue. It, is not, it has nothing, as far as I'm concerned, to do with people who are going abroad to school. Omitha Cardozo has to you know, dance to the tune of of the political uh, class and, and look for a bogeyman to blame. Oh, thank you, Phoenix. So, Samuel, you, you, you've heard what Phoenix has said. So, so what, what is the problem? Because surely this is not... Nigerians did not start going to university abroad under this APC government. From time immemorial, they've been schooling abroad so what can be done to address this FX shortage? Can you explain to us, uh, Samuel Atiku, like we're primary school kids, what can be done to solve this problem? Because uh, airlines are complaining that they've not received uh, payments in FX. Businessmen are complaining. Manufacturers are leaving the country. So what, what can be done to solve this problem? Yeah, I, I think it's a complex, we find ourselves in a complex hole. I, I always call it a flawless state of decline because we are here to find the floor until you stand on the floor before you start climbing out, right? Um, it's important to quickly address one thing. Um, Yemi Kadoso, uh, I, re I recall when he became central bank governor and then he gave his speech in Lagos. When I listened to his speech, I was worried and why was I was worried because it was just anchoring around banking regulation. I think it's important to mention that banking regulation is not a monetary policy tool. Banking regulation serves no purpose. We have over one and something countries in the world. Nobody had used banking regulation to manage flow of money. Flow of money, it's a monetary policy issue. It's a monetary concept. It's a monetary phenomenon. I use monetary policy tools to address that. So clearly, I'm beginning to doubt, one, the competence of the central bank governor, and whether he has a clear understanding of what it takes to run an economy. Back and reversing back to what Finis has said, if you look closely at the numbers around people going outside the country to study, it's not astronomical. I mean, if you go on the central bank website today and you look at the sectorial distribution, utilization, sorry, sectorial utilization of foreign exchange, it is clear there, it's divided into two. You have your imports and then you have what we call invisibles. Your import encompasses the goods and services we are importing into the country. And we all know that substantial amount of this is on PMS. When you look at it, what do we really import on? In fact, in clear terms, if you look at our import to GDP, it's ridiculously one of the lowest in the world. In fact, Nigeria is a country we actually play as if import is everything. Now, I won't dwell much on the import because, again, if you break down that import, 
you will notice that, yes, aside from food manufactured product that we import, industrial, and then we bring in some little bit of agricultural commodities, those are the, those are the biggest driver. And if you look at it relatively, we're doing about 14 billion. In 2022, we spent officially, right? There's an unofficial channel. But officially, the central bank, we utilize about $14.3 billion, on which is a ridiculously very small. Compared to Ghana, Ghana is even doing higher than us. So all this talk around uh, seedless grapes and all those things should be trashed. They have no place in economics. The second bit is the invisibles, like services. Now, if you look closely at the invisibles, Cardoso is anchoring around education services. In 2022, Nigeria spent less than $1 billion, right, on education. For context, in 2008, we're doing almost $714 billion. And people were not, the jackpiring concept was not heavy. So even the people that are running out of the country, where they are sourcing their resources from unofficial channels. I think it's important to put no, that. I just need to clarify that figure. You said $714 billion in 2008? No, $714 right? million. Dollars, just million. Okay. $714 million. Now it's $975 million. That's at 2022, the last figure that they published. So there's no significant difference, right? In terms of how much the central bank is spending. So what Cardoso did was just to sum it up and then did some arithmetic mathematics and then throw that into the bill. But if you look closely at the numbers, you will discover that financial services had been the biggest drain. Just for context, in 2019, 25.6 billion was zoomed out of the economy through financial services. You ask your big question, why are we having that? It's clear. Most businesses that are operating in the country, big men that were playing in the countries, they're taking out the money. They are running away with it. So the big question is that, why are they taking out the money? And that's the core question that Michael you asked. It's simple. When you have loose cannon, I mean, just imagine you are. You, you, let's imagine we have five people in a country, and everybody gets. I mean, in the country, you have only hundred naira in the economy. Now everybody gets ten ten naira, meaning that for five people, everybody have fifty naira. You go into the economy, you use it for rent, you do what you want to do. Everybody's struggling around that space. But all of a sudden, if you see a central bank start piling up and creating money, instead of having 15 naira, all of a sudden you now have, instead of 15 naira, you now have 500 naira. The question is that that 500 naira, where are you putting? You are putting it in the hands of very few people. And those people have no need for it. What do they need the money for? So most of them will typically be looking for dollars through financial services, repatriating their money outside the country to go and keep it outside. So that's the problem that we have in Nigeria. For context, so that I clarify this, so that I'm not speaking hypothetically, let's look closely at the numbers. If you go to the central bank website and you look at um, the assets and liabilities of the federal bank, you look at the money and credit statistics, it is there white and black. There's no two way about it. In 2015, the monetary base, essentially, what we mean by monetary base is that the money that the central bank has created, whether in terms of the printed version or the electronic version, was $5.9 That was the total money when Jonathan was leaving us at June 2015. Today, as we are speaking, it is $24 trillion. From $5 trillion to $24 trillion, 
within a space of 10 years, that the people that have attempted this, in fact, if you look at the history, people that have attempted this kind of very stupid policy, Zimbabwe in the, two, in the 200, I mean the two in the 2000, year 2000s, we know what happened to Zimbabwe. Venezuela did the same thing in 2014. We knew what happened to them. West Germany, immediately after the first war, they did the same thing. In fact, people were using trucks to carry money to the shop to buy things. Hungary attempted the same thing after the Second World War. We knew what happened. Zimbabwe, just historically, they did it again, and we all knew what happened. Argentina has also done it. Now, we have contextual history that tells us the implication of what has happened. Unfortunately, Buhari's government had ruined the economy. Now, what expects that once um, the Yoruba Ronu Emilio gang gets into government and then with the fantastic legacy economy that they were selling across, that they were going to put a stem on it? But unfortunately, between June and December of last year, these people have printed seven trillion to do what? Nothing. And oh, that's thank where you. That Thank you, I think I need to bring in Phoenix to discuss this point further. So, Phoenix, I think was made one point which I want you to comment on. He says, since Bolatinubu came into office, they've printed a further 7 trillion naira. And then the second issue I want you to comment on is the inflation figures recently released, I think a few days ago, show that inflation is at 29 point something percent, almost 30. So, do you know anything about this seven trillion, Phoenix? Was this authorized by the Senate? And isn't this the opposite of what they said they were going to be doing, which was to address Emir Fale's illegal printing of the Naira? And secondly, is this why inflation is 29%, Phoenix? Well, I mean, kudos to Atiku, because I, I, I actually saw this on his timeline when he shared... Um, um, excerpts from the CBN um, report that showed, you know, base money having gone up by seven trillion within the period between May and May 2023 and December 2023. Which, and and for those who may not fully understand, base money means actual physical money in the economy that you know that that exists. That's the starting point because when you in, a, in an economy, you have different levels of money. Base money is your starting point. Then as you create credit, you expand money to, to the next level and so on and so forth. So when you look at that and you see that expansion, which, which I think we showed, it tells you clearly that they, they have, this central bank has not stopped the issues that we saw before. Now the question then becomes: Okay, you're 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 doing you're expanding uh, money supply. What is it being used for? And so we look at. I mean, you look at uh, government spending, and you know that there continues to be a deficit because these guys haven't stopped spending, and their revenue profile hasn't changed. The only thing that has changed is because they have devalued the naira. They have more naira available. But let's not forget, there's there's FX debts, there and they are still paying subsidy. So there there are you know places where money is going that you would expect that you know given that they've not increased their revenue profile, it means that they continue to 
to live off of the the central bank. Now, to your point about legal printing, that's where it gets a bit tricky. You can't really say there's an illegal printing of money to the extent that it is the CBN's prerogative to manage money supply. So if CBN comes out and says that, look, in managing money supply, you know, and don't forget, there was this whole uh, hue and cry about, you know, when they changed the Naira and there was a paucity of Naira supply and all of this kind of stuff. So the issue where illegality can come in and has been in play for quite a while was the extension of credit to to the government because we had in our fiscal in our fiscal um, in the CBN Act and I think also in the Fiscal Act if I remember correctly there are limits to how much the central bank can extend to the government. Now we know that that those limits were bastardized during the time of Buhari, which led to the infamous twenty three trillion that they needed to securitize. One ex one, the, the expectation was that once that was taken off the books, that we won't see that continuing. But obviously, if I mean if this is continuing, then that's where you would expect a national assembly that authorized that securitization under the under the guise of this is a one and done deal, should be looking very closely to understand if this is still going on. And that's where they need to call. You know they need to you know wield the big stick on the CBN and and uh, and the federal and the executive. Now, Achiku is right. I mean, when, when you have the, the classic, um, the classic uh, what's it called cause of inflation is usually when you have excess money supply. So when you have a lot of money in the market, chasing few goods, that's when you see high inflation. So we know that the, the huge amount of money that has been printed over time under the Buhari administration, and now that we see that it's continuing, leads to, number one, the pressures on FX, as article rightly pointed out, but also creates high inflation because you have uh, a heated uh, monetary supply. And so until you begin, what should be happening is that you should be you should be using monetary policy tools to curb money supply, not continue to expand it if you want to fix both problems. But we don't we don't see an attempt to do that because we're now seeing that this the central bank continues to expand money supply. And so that's where you know there needs to be a conversation as to these guys are not applying the right tools. They are saying the right things and seemingly and, and seemingly taking some good action. So for example, we are seeing the, the Naira crash. But yes, that's to be expected if you if you have been propping it up for so long and there is no underlying strength to the Naira. The economy is not doing as well as it should. You don't have um, exports that will generate FX. You don't have a an economy that people trust and will bring in, you know, bring in their their FX investment. So, of course, your Naira, once you remove the prop and you stop fixing the Naira, of course, you expect it to crash. The question is, how long will it crash for? And that depends on the actions that need to be taken on the fiscal side, because the fiscal side needs to take policy actions that remove the shackles on the economy, that allow private enterprise, and more importantly, boost confidence in people that will come and invest and will then you know show up the value of the of the currency as an outcome. It cannot be that 
you know, trying to save the Naira, which is what led us to where we are today, is the focus. You need to you need to stop trying to fix that and focus on fixing the economy because now that's why we're struggling with 40% unemployment, 35% food inflation, and the likes of those kinds of things going on. So, I mean, it, it's clear that the people who are in charge, who have taken over government, are just a continuation of the of the Buhari APC government, full of people who, on the executive side, really are incompetent and don't know what they're doing. Thank you, Phoenix. Well, we're going to carry on this conversation onto the next topic. And Atiku, this is going to be for Samuel, this is going to be for you. The IMF has reportedly praised Bola Tinubu's economic policies, claiming that the things, the reforms Jonathan Yaradua and Obasanjo could not implement or achieve, Bola Tinubu has done them. In your view, is this a, a fair and accurate assessment of Bola Tinubu's administration? Samuel, Atiku? Yeah, I think sometimes uh, when you read some of those reports, all you can do is just laugh. Um, so uh, what have been the policy um, actions that the Bola Tinubu government has done? Maybe he had removed, well, in quotes, they claim to have removed subsidy, but all of a sudden subsidy seems to be back. And that's, that's one of the key things that they've done. The second policy is to continue to print money, which we talked about now. That's the second economic policy. The third policy is actually to come up with their fiscal frameworks that prioritize, I will call it, it did prioritize the luxury of the government. Of course, you have this big yacht, the buying yacht and all those kind of things to the detriment of the working poor, the have nots. Uh, that's, that's the third policies that we've seen. In terms of the social policies, um, in terms of the health policy, we've not seen anything significant, right? There's nothing on paper that you can say, oh, this is the health policy of government. One of the leading cause of death in the country, uh, especially for people, when you look at people that are pregnant, maternal health, and then on the five deaths, anemia, government had not come up with policies to address that. In fact, the policy... The policy that we have existing is filled with a lot of holes. Uh, if you look at the climate, it was a big jamboree. We have no, we have no policy around climate change. But just to circle down, let's look at the subsidy regime. Uh, when government was going to take our subsidy, I did raise a big question. And the big question is simple. That have you looked at the impact? Have you done your ideally decent opinion, right? or decent opinion and then respect. I mean, when you're looking at human mind, the first thing you do when you're trying to actually come up with a policy is one, you look at the problems, you do your typical problem analysis, you look at the core problems, you break your problem into three folds, right? You look at whether it's a systemic problem, whether it's an organization problem, whether it's a people-related problem. And then you try to begin to iterate around those, um, those things. And then you come up with your strategy. But more importantly, you have to think through uh, what are the key impact of one of your policy submission? And when you look at the impact of your, then you now do your cost-benefit analysis and then you draw your conclusion. It was obvious that Nigeria could not afford to remove subsidies as to when it was removed. I'm not saying subsidy regime was not good, right? Removing it or not removing it because the country was too scoffed, right? People are extremely impoverished to the point whereby when you take it out, you will get what we are getting today. 
then they will have been a little bit very meticulous in how they approach their problem, but they did not. So to your question, Michael, the IMF looking at what is happening in the country and says that, oh, this actually be a brilliant policy choice. I disagree completely. I think the consultants, uh, I think IMF should withdraw. They should call back their consultants and get back their money. They should ask for a refund. Those consultants have not done the detailed job. If you look at the normal Article 4 and virtually look at the role report that they've come up with, I've interacted to keep, I mean, some key members of the people that work within the IMF and come in countries to actually do some of these assessments. Uh, maybe the whole set of people that have come into the country now, they've actually not consulted widely. They've actually not gone to the street of Nigeria. They need to go to the market in Nigeria and see what is happening there. They need to go to the marketers themselves, the people marketing PMS, and see what is happening there. They need to go to the banks and see what is happening there. You need to go to the main street and then you go to the Wall Street, in quote, or Broad Street, if you want to call it that, and see what's happening there. You need to talk to people that are starting businesses in Nigeria and see the challenges they are going through. You need to talk to the people that are working in the country and see why someone that is earning $100,000 in Nigeria will abandon that and jump outside the country to actually pick up care work and all those kind of things. The thinking around that is so terrible that for somebody to sit down and tell people in Nigeria that the policy choices that this government is making, buying yachts, using borrowing money and using that money to buy yachts, to make yourself comfortable. Or when you look at even at the state level, governors using money, right, to make themselves better, to make their life better at the detriment of the working poor, that those choices are a good policy choice. I disagree completely with the IMF. Thank you, Samanatiku. Phoenix. Now, People like yourself who are pro-markets have argued for years that the fuel subsidy should go. You've argued for years that the currency should be floated. Now, the IMF is saying Bolatinibu is doing these things. So do you agree? So why do you share Samuel's views that he doesn't deserve praise? Or do you uh, agree that, well, he's doing the things people like yourself have called for? So therefore... He should be congratulated. Michael, sorry, I missed the question. I had a bit of a... Oh, sorry, I rephrased the question. People like yourself, who are pro-market and pro-economic reforms, for years have said we needed to get rid of the subsidy and we needed to float the currency. Now, the IMF is saying Bolatinibu has done these things. So don't you agree that he should be congratulated and encouraged to, to in, 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 in that direction? Or do you share Atiku's views that Bolatinibu deserves no credit? He deserves no credit. He deserves no credit because when we've, when we've asked for these things to be done, we've asked them to be done properly, decisively, but also with intelligence. Number one, he hasn't removed subsidy. As of today, we are still paying subsidy. And we've been paying subsidy at least at a minimum since August. So he has not removed subsidy, no matter what IMF consultants or whoever they are might want to say. We know what the facts are, number one. Number two, the FX reforms are, are still, you know, we are still in progress. So while... We've seen the central bank 
try to cons um, harmonize rates by pushing everybody to NAFEM and, you know, trying to do all of those things, we still see some of the restrictions that they put that they are putting in play. So when they talk about reforms, they have, they have not been done properly to the extent that they should have been done, number one. Number two, in doing the reforms, it was also important that when you remove subsidy, you remove it with the understanding that there's going to be an impact on the economy and come up with a plan to address that impact in the immediate term. You know that there will be a spike in prices. What have you done to address key issues such as food, transportation, those two core things, nothing was done. And then in the medium to long term, what is the what is the restructuring of the economy that you are doing to make sure that, okay, now that you have removed subsidy and all of that, what, what is going to happen going forward? Instead, the savings that the, that the government was making in a time when revenue is still not growing as it should, are, is being wasted. We're seeing cars being bought for um, National Assembly members. We're seeing junkets to Onga and to Dubai. We're seeing spending on on pre presidential yacht. So, I mean, you, you, I mean, you look at the budget that they put out, and you continue to see the same, you know, inane things that that have been happening under this APC for the last eight years. So, how can anybody say that these are effectively, you know, uh, enabled reforms? They're not. So, what is the what am I praising you for? Everything that is happening is happening because even though you are postulating that we're going to do these things that we've said are the right things that need to be done, the manner in which you're doing it, it is, is what is causing the problems that we have. So we, why should we hail you for that? And these were things that we said, that you not only, it's not just about coming out and saying we're going to remove subsidy, we're going to fix FX rates and all of those kinds of things. It's about the thinking that needs to go along with it to make sure that you understand the levels of the economy and you're able to, you know, as you understand, as you're as you're removing those shackles, the importation ban, the 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 closing of border, all those things, you roll them back so that you can allow the economy to, to begin to thrive. But without doing that, your reforms are going into a space where you already have a constricted economy and you already have so much, you know, so much that is that has already created so many problems that you can only you're only compounding the issues by not carrying through what you're supposed to have done and doing it properly. So there's no there's no <laughs> there's no pass mark for for what has been done. In fact, they should be they should be their failures should be should be clearly called out. Well, thank you, Phoenix. Sabanatiku, to expand the conversation further. I'm sure you've seen the news this week with spontaneous protests appearing to erupt in various parts of the country, predominantly in the northern part of Nigeria. And then you have the Nigerian government then announcing that they're going to tackle hoarders or people who are stockpiling food. In your view, is this the best way to manage the sort of skyrocketing food inflation? 
Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I mean, again, <laughs> just um, adding to uh, maybe IMF, uh, maybe IMF consultants see that also as a good policy choice. Um, when you look closely at the agriculture ecosystem in Nigeria, in truth, you have a lot of middlemen that plays a very significant role. They go to most of those small, small farms and then they buy up goods and some of them actually, so that they can actually make profit, they typically will store them and then try to sell them as at when they feel that they will maximize their profit. That's a pure capitalist concept. That's the, con that's the concept of a, I mean, that's how every business is operates. Um, that's how every business operates. And then, but when, when you look at the challenge, the underlying reason for the challenges we are facing, is it a phantom of the fact that we are not producing enough? Or is the core problem is the fact that we are producing so much, but some set of people are holding it up and they are keeping it, stockpiling it and making it expensive. Now, I used to try, is the government trying to tell me that the price of tomato in the market, right, is expensive because some people will rather keep the tomato in their, in their store and let it rot away before they push it to the market. It's a big dilemma, right? The question is that the, there are problems already. People are getting fed up and then you are beginning to see the first, they call it the first layer of what you call social unrest trigger. When you see people voicing their anger openly and then people throwing away the call and then you are beginning to see protests. So for government to shift the blame as usual, they typically look closely at who are the simple vulnerable people that you cannot clog up, right? You can't say it's this man, but you can throw the cord into the whole space. So that's exactly what they are doing. So they are trying to actually shift the blame of their own failure on another party. I mean, we've seen that happen repeatedly in Nigeria. At some point in time, they will tell you, just like Cardoso has said, it is the people traveling outside the country that are making forest cars in the country. It is the people buying grapes, right? Seedless grape that are making the <laughs> that are making the dollars fall. I mean, the Naira fall against the dollar. So that same pattern of um, shifting blame and passing the buck is what you've seen them done. So they are trying to say, okay, don't protest against us. Don't look at us. We are failed. We know. I mean, don't let us, don't let everybody know we are the failure. These are the people that are failing. <laughs> this specifically, this, this man specifically is the one that is holding price. Ridiculous. The last time I've seen this happen um, in the country, I can't even record this has happened before in this country. I mean, it's terrible that you will see a government rather than ramping up production. Rather than looking at the, the uh, what do you call it now? Looking at the, the core issues that is fueling some of these challenges, which rest solely with them, they've decided, they've decided to pass the buck. Um, they've decided to push the blame um, on people that are legitimately doing business. So what would they do? The people that are doing business will shut down, sack the workers, push people into the, <laughs> into the world, into the already, already saturated labor, I mean, labor market, and then the whole thing just spiral out of control. And then what you get is anarchy at the end of the day. Um, we always say something, that the Roman Empire did not fail because a country came and invaded the Roman Empire. They failed and they fall on their stomach uh, because of implosion, because when price of goods and services start accelerating beyond normal, 
I tend, people tend to fail. Even the communist regime of recent, they failed uh, because of inflation. If you look at the where, the old East Germany concept, if you I mean, if you read history, they failed because of inflation. If you look at countries that have failed in the past, even in Africa, contextually, even in Africa, if you look at countries like Sudan, countries that are degenerated into war, it failed because of this thing. Unfortunately, government have not addressed the And I would say, I mean, just to round up, the core of this issue is that there's insecurity in the country. Farmers cannot go to farms. Government had decided to turn their eye away from the killings that is happening in the country. And that is exacerbating the challenges farmers are facing, meaning that they can't produce enough. Food inflation is now at 35%. Fortunately, again, for those that want to import goods into the country, I was speaking to a farmer of recent. Uh, he has a big poultry farm. He has a massive, gigantic poultry farm. He can't even get corn to feed his chicken. So the, because you can't find it in the local market, people playing in the local market would rather go sell it outside the country because they know we'll get, they will get safer from outside the country, which carries more weight. And so they're struggling. They can't. So the only thing you can do is to reduce your fees. I mean, reduce your stock, your stock. I mean, your livestock. And when you release of you, sack people <laughs> so that you stay afloat. Government have not addressed those core issues. So, Michael, I think that it's just bug passing. Um, by the time they're serious with governance, they will come back to the court, they will blame themselves for what they have done, and then they will begin to take corrective actions. Thank you, Samuel Atiku. So the final question on this topic to Phoenix. So, Phoenix, you've heard, you've heard what's been said. Inflation seems to be skyrocketing. The economy doesn't seem to be creating as much jobs as it should be. And food prices are up with the government now tackling hoarders. And one of the charges that the APC has made against the opposition is, instead of just complaining, why don't you tell us what the solution is or why don't you pro provide a solution to the problem? And they've directed this question to Peter LB in particular. So Phoenix, what would Peter LB have done differently that would have somehow solved this insecurity problem, addressed the food inflation, and also managed the the subsidy regime. Well, we can only we can only speak to what he promised to do. I mean, we can't say for certain what he will have done. The question the question is is he? I mean, sorry. The point is that he had a manifesto. And if we look back to the campaign season, which was around this time last year, he was the one who was most vocal, who was very clear and sharing his plans to all and sundry on what he will do. And, and the key themes were on, number one, ensuring that you have a government that is not wasteful. Ensuring that you have a government that is you, you making judicious use of the resources that, that it has, which will not only have the right signaling effect, but also ensure that some of the challenges that we're having today, you know, around in, around insecurity, talked about, um, you know, increasing the size of the security forces, making sure that they have the right equipment, making sure that they have the right setup, talked about, you know, um, um, the economy talked about, you know, things that he was going to do. His manifesto is out there. But I think what's most critical is the, the understanding of 
his person and the kind of government that he ran in Anambra State and what he promised that he would run. That was why people were willing to say, look, if we go with this guy, at least we know that he's not going to, he's going to be efficient. We know that he's going to show sincerity of purpose. We know that he's going to focus on the problems and try to solve for them rather than, you know, ignore the problems and jet off to to, to Paris whenever you, he feels like. There's a it's clear night and day between what Peter Obi, you know, offered and what we're seeing today. And what we're seeing today is what we said will happen when you when you elect people who have do have neither the capability nor the capacity to to run for office and to get into into power, and they do not have a clear plan, and even what whatever they try to postulate, you know, is it's 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 um it's not bringing out what they hope will happen because they're not well thought through plans. They're not plans that show that they don't have an understanding of what needs to be done. So for me, I mean, we only need to go back to what was in the manifesto of of all the candidates and also remember that Tinubu as a candidate practically did not share any plan, any plans or ideas of what he was going to do. And so why are we surprised that he's failing miserably? And when the APC then says they should, why should they tell you? When you were running for office, did you not have an idea of what was going on? Is insecurity new? We knew we knew a year ago that we had an insecurity challenge in Nigeria. We knew that we had an economic issue. We knew that we had, a, I mean, an impoverished government. So why 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 did you why do you need your opposition to be the one to tell you what to do? You promised Nigerians that you had solutions. They told us that he was the best prepared and ready to run to run for office. Show walking. Thank you, Phoenix. I'm sure our APC listeners will have a comeback and they'll they'll share they'll respond via the Twitter handle. Now to the final topic, which is the value of the Naira. Now, Samuel Atiku, every day there seems to be this Twitter handle that provides the exchange rates between Naira and the pound and the dollar, and the Canadian dollar as well, US dollar and Canadian dollar. And I've got this friend who sends me daily WhatsApp updates. I'm not quite sure why. But every single time I check, the Naira seems to be falling drastically against the dollar. And in fact, just today, apparently the dollar is now about 1,700, if that's correct, and the pound is over 2,000 Naira. So is it safe to say that the currency is now freely floated? Is that what the central bank has done? I think they freely floated the Naira. Yeah, well, again, it's funny when you hear people talk about whether the Naira is um, freely floating. I don't think so. Um, when you say the currency is free floating, it essentially means that that currency, um, there are no, there are no, there are no, there are no restrictions around one, uh, how you look at that currency itself. Essentially, what it means is that if you want to take dollar out of the country, there are no restrictions. If you want to bring dollar into the country, there are no restrictions. Um, so you allow the force of the market, which is essentially demand and supply, uh, to determine price. But in Nigeria, 
we have two big markets uh, for foreign exchange. We have the official channel, and then we have the unofficial channel. So within the official channel, the biggest player in that space remains the central bank, meaning that it can pull, it can pull its levers to adjust the exchange rate at will. Uh, but if you look at the floating up, I mean, if you look at the other side of the market also, which is the unofficial market, that is for that segregated into two. You have what we call the parallel market, the black market. That's where cash are being transacted. And then you have the, I'll call it the electronic version, where you see people doing remittance and all those kind of things going through that channel. Now, as if when you take the market together itself, the truth is that we don't have one market. And the first indicator of a flow, free floating market, uh, free floating currency is that you every market consolidates into one. So that is absent in Nigeria. You still have multiple markets. I was making a joke the other time that people said, oh, Dangote, Dangote, we need about $2 billion to buy crude oil. I say it doesn't even need to do business. All it needs to do is actually just take it from the official market and then try to play in the other market. And then you can make 400 naira spread. If you look at 400 over 2 billion, that's almost a trillion error. I mean, that profit is bigger than what your refinery will give you. So you don't even need to do business. That's how terrible things are in Nigeria. And so back to your question, Michael, <laughs> the truth is that we still have those segmented markets all interplaying together, uh, a rent-seeking system, and that the central bank has refused to collapse into one. And that's why we have the problem we have today. I mean, just for context, the central bank itself Recently, this is recent circular, says that if you're sending remittance to the country, they will automatically change it to Naira. So if you want to send money to Nigeria or anybody outside the country want to send money, are you saying you are going to send it through official channel? You are going to look for an alternative channel that gives you more pump. That's the problem of Nigeria. We keep creating market and unfortunately, a lot of people benefit from that, the instability that we have in those calls. People make a lot of money out of it. And the kind of money you are... I mean, I always say something that's very easy. All you need to do is just have a contact with the central bank governor. Get a million dollars. You make 400 million naira. Why do you have to think about anything? Playing it in those, in those segmented markets. So, Michael, I disagree completely with the fact that um, uh, the current... The, the, the naira is freely floating. And the problem with the Naira is simple. The volume of dollar coming to Nigeria has reduced. It's not where it should be. And unfortunately, we have a lot of Naira the central bank had printed. And then additional money had been created. <laughs> when you print money, the multiplying effect, what we call velocity of money, had increased that significantly. And that's why you see broad money had expanded significantly. Meaning that all people are just thinking about is that let me use this money. Let me borrow money at all cost. Buy dollar and move it outside. That's exactly what is happening in the country. And that's why the Naira is falling. If you want to put a stem to it, reduce your monetary base. Release instrument, monetary policy instrument through the open market operations. Reduce your monetary base significantly. And if you reduce your monetary base significantly, banks will be forced, right, to begin to call back on how they are creating credits and giving people to go and buy dollars. They themselves cannot even buy dollars because they don't have enough reserve to buy dollars from the central bank or through official channel. And with that, you'll be able to find a level. You'll be able to find a floor. Then on that floor, we start the process of rebuilding the economy. Remember, it sometimes it takes eight years to reverse. In fact, I always tell people that the damage that Buari has done is going to take maybe 10 years to reverse it. Now, the one that you know, had added to it 
Maybe we spend another 20 years trying to reverse it. I think I just raised my case here. Thank you. Thank you, Atiku Lord. It's interesting. We have 20 years to go. Well, those of us who are young, I'm still in my 20s, so I'll still be probably 40 in 20 years' time. So that's that's good news for me. But anyway, to Phoenix, I'm trying to understand if what Samuel Atiku is saying is correct, that the currency has not been floated, then why can't we ever seem to get accurate information from the Nigerian government or the central bank? Because the impression they gave was that the currency is floated. So are you saying they're not telling the truth? I think they're not telling the truth. Why Why is there so much subterfuge in in, in the in the management of, of, of the currency, Phoenix? Well, I mean, number one, I, I think, you know, the magnitude of the problem sometimes overwhelms people who are ill-prepared. And, you know, there's only so much you can do if you're not ready to to make the hard choices and, and do what's required. So, and they still have to keep up appearances, right? They have to, you see, I mean, you started out with the IMF reporting. And so when you have to, keep those kinds of people saying favorable things about you because you hope that you can use that IMF report to convince people that you are going about to try and borrow from. Don't forget that Wale Edo has been going about trying to 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 raise uh you know funding and, and all those kinds of things. You you will you will do the kinds of things that they're doing where they will try to control the narrative, even though anybody with clear eyes and an understanding can can easily say that what they are doing is not exactly what they are saying. They, you, you know, I always tell people that with economics, there's nowhere for you to hide. You can only, you know, delay and, and posture, but you will get found out. You will get found out because... The thing with economics is people will always act rationally. When we when you when you talk about you know um um Naira crashing and people demanding for dollar and all of that, people are acting not rationally because your economic conditions tell them that there is no immediate turnaround. And past um re recent uh, history tells them that the Naira only has one direction. It is going to continue crashing. And so people who are rational actors will, you know, uh, take positions against the Naira because they know that the Naira today is not going to be the Naira tomorrow. Now, Nigerian policymakers tend to think the other way, you know, and want to bet against people acting irrationally. Sorry, they want to bet on people acting irrationally. And so they make policies that make zero sense and then come out and try to defend it when people <laughs> act how they did not expect. It is, it is ridiculous in my view. You need to understand that whatever you do from a policymaking perspective, people will take the, the positions that are in their best interest. So if you know that, then, and you understand the levels of the economy, then you do the right things. You need to make sure that, you know, you 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 ensure that the monetary supply is right. And that is a central bank action 
But I've been saying for a while that it cannot be only the central bank that is making the right calls. It cannot be only the central bank that is trying to do what, what they need to do, albeit not fully having done it, but also because there are certain restrictions to how far they can go and how far they should go. But you cannot have the fiscal side doing the things that it is doing, continuing to spend recklessly in the way that it is spending, continuing to do non-value-adding things, not understanding that with the economy where it is today, you need to make big, bold bets and you need to show very clearly that you are willing to do what is required to move the economy forward. So you have this dichotomy of failure where, you know, on the central bank side, they are grappling and trying to step into the breach, even though one of the reasons why I was, you know, and if you remember when we were talking about who should become the CBN governor, I kept saying that I needed a policy wonk. I needed somebody who was not a banker. I needed somebody who would come in and will restore the central bank to its function, will unwind the central bank from a lot of the positions that it has taken. So while I wasn't enthused with the with the choice of Cardozo, I still was going to give him benefit of the doubt. And he has done certain things that, yes, I agree with. It is some of his postulations uh, postulations that I do not agree with when, you know, but, you know, you can take that on one side. At least he is trying to take certain actions. The problem I have is with the fiscal side where Wale Edun seems to be coasting and you're not seeing anything come out of it. You see the, the tax reform committee that they set up, where is the report and where is where are the actions that they are going to be taking going forward? What are the actions being taken on revenue? What are the what what have they done with we've seen FAC significantly increase over the last nine eight eight, nine months? What have they done with the money? Without asking these questions, there's no there's no there's not going to be any turnaround. And so, you know, I mean Nigerians should just brace themselves. That's that's just the the central theme of of what I will share because this is not we're we're nowhere near the bottom yet. Thank you, Phoenix. I was, I was going to ask further on the on this issue. Uh, this uh, minister for finance, who some people on Twitter called call Egbon Wali or Wali Edu. What 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 I don't understand is is it that he doesn't have the qualifications to be the coordinating minister of the economy, or is he out of his depth? Or he is out is of his depth. He is out of his depth as far as I'm concerned. What what are his antecedents? Okay, he was uh, was it was it finance or budget? No, he was he was finance because it was I think it was um, Cardozo that was economic planning and budget under Tinubu's administration. And of course, yeah, he's an investment banker from Chapel Hill, Denham, and blah 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 blah. But that doesn't tell me that you're an economic manager of notes. You know, we're waiting to see. I mean, we saw the first budget that has come out. If that's the work that he's able to do, then of course he doesn't. He's not. I, I was. I, I, I mean, I was having a conversation with somebody recently, and the person was was talking about, you know, when the the context determines the kind of the kinds of leaders that you need. Nigeria is and and last during the last election cycle was clear to everyone that we are in a challenging time 
and it takes me back to 2015, uh, to 2014 going into 2015. 2014, when we had the oil price crash around the middle of the year, and we were going into election season, and we were and and the government at the time were preparing the new budgets for 2015, and a lot of what um, Dr. Ngozi Okunjo was talking about was the need to tighten, to reduce spending, to have austerity measures, to inc to ramp up um, taxes and setting on on wealth and certain things to shore up the revenue base. They were. She was already thinking about the fact that we were moving into a different scenario because for the for the previous four or so years we had seen oil price boom and you know there was I mean there was a, a lot that the economy had benefited from but you needed to switch from that what what you could have called relative peacetime to wartime and in wartime the kinds of leaders that you require are very different. Bringing us back to where we are today, what is clear to me is that the guys that have come in now do not understand that they are in wartime. And the kinds of actions, the kinds of behavior that they need to exhibit, and more, most importantly, the kinds of signaling that they have to, to give to the economy, to, our, to outsiders, to you know, everyone they are incapable of doing that because they do not realize the situation that they are in. And so when you ask me about Edun, I'm like, I mean, the guy, I mean, when I, when anytime I look at him, I'm like, this guy doesn't even know what time of day it, it is. There is no sense of seriousness and understanding and a clear mandate that, no, as far as we ask, if, if he as finance minister came to Nigerians and committed to us, that we are going to cut down spending by 30% or 40%, that we're going to rationalize spending and make sure that value goes into certain areas, that we're going to you know, undo certain things that we've been doing before that are non-value-adding. Then you will begin to see someone that understands that there is an issue and it needs to be resolved with high-impact actions. But no. We're not seeing that. We're seeing people who think it, I mean, they can operate business as usual and go cap in hand from one place to another, you know, either trying to flog crude oil or, or raise new debts at ridiculous rates, Nigeria paying 9% on, 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 on foreign debts and those kinds of things. So, no, we do not have people who have, the, who have shown the capability to turn around the issues that we have. Now, I will be very delighted for them to prove me wrong, but what we've seen to date, clear as day. Thank you, Phoenix. But our time is up, so must first of all thank Samalatiko as well for taking time out of his busy schedule to be here, and thank our listeners for always being loyal and giving us helpful feedback. But until same time next week, I say have a fantastic seven days to everyone. Thank you, Michael, and thanks, Atiku, for joining us. Thank you, listeners. Have a great week, everyone.